Amen, amen, amen. Okay, so we're on part 10 of our series, The Ten Commandments. And um, let's see, part 10. And oh, here's what I want to ask you. Before we get into it, how many of you, out of curiosity, how many of you have seen the commandments in a way different light than you ever have your entire life? Okay, how many of you could not name all 10 commandments before the series? How many of you still can't name all 10 commandments? Okay, well... You're welcome. So I'm glad you listen and pay attention so well. Um, if there's anything I wanted you to get from this series, it's two things. One is, is that all the Ten Commandments are in the New Testament. And for people to say that they're outdated and not needed, they're, they're, they're being very foolish. In fact, when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's the first, ten, that's the first four commandments. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the last six commandments. And remember they asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Thinking he was going to say the people on my street. And Jesus said, anyone you come in contact with is your neighbor. So that's what I want you to see. I also want you to see this. Every single one of us in this room have missed the mark in some way with every single commandment. I want everyone to understand that. Young, old, I don't care how long you've been saved or how long you've been in church. Every one of us have failed at all ten commandments. And so it's very, very important we understand that because that shows our need for Jesus which you'll see in part 11 next week, which is the conclusion. So, Exodus 20, verse 17, here is today's commandment. It says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Remember, neighbor is anyone you come in contact with. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his F-150, nor her jewelry, nor his job, nor her clothes, nor his barbecue grill, nor her size six body who's never had a child before, <laughs> nor his full thick head of hair, nor his car, nor her BMW. And just in case you don't get it, here's what he ends with, nor anything that is your neighbor's. I want you to see by this 10th commandment that God believes in personal property. It's very important you understand that God believes in personal property. He believes in not taking something that you haven't earned or that wasn't gifted to you. He believes in personal property. And Deuteronomy 5.21, remember the, the commandments are also in Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy means the law repeated. In the law repeated, the 10th commandment, it says covet, but it also says desire. So I want you to understand that you'll need to know that for a little bit, but desire. Okay, before we get into the thick of it, I think it's very interesting that, um, that all the other ancient cultures of the time, you could sell your wives you could have a wife, and if you didn't want her anymore, and, and, you, and you, you want a different one, or someone wants yours, they could make an indecent proposal. Remember Robert Redford? Okay, anyway. And so they could, they could offer you money for your wife. But Israel was the only nation at the time that was forbidden. God forbid them to sell their wives. The reason I think this is funny is because God never forbid them to sell their husbands. There, there just wasn't a market for him, I guess. You couldn't give your husband away. You know, you couldn't pay somebody to take your husband. But the rule was you could not sell your wife. So I thought that was interesting. But anyway, Exodus 20, 17, it is you shall not covet is what it boils down to. And covet means this, any ungodly desire. Um, here are some synonyms for covet. And, and I didn't come up with these. These are actually written synonyms. Excess, which we understand that. Greed. Piggishness. I did not come up with that. That is in there. Piggishness is a synonym for covet and insatiableness, or you're never, ever, ever satisfied. So here's my burden for today's message. Um, out of all the Ten Commandments, this may be the most boring for you, but it was the most convicting for me. I, I probably cried more studying this commandment than any other commandment. Here's why. Um, I feel like I'm just too blessed sometimes. 
I feel like God's done so much for me and I take it for granted. And it seems like there's something in me that always wants more. I want more people in church. I want, uh, you know, a, a, a nicer car or I want better clothes or, you know, I want a nicer pair of shoes when I see one. And I think and for me, and this isn't for y'all, but for me, um, I had a covetous spirit, I felt like, because um, I want to know with my desires, I want to know, is this desire from God or not? Is this desire from me? How do I know it's an ungodly desire or how do I know it's a desire God put in me? And I'm going to teach you that today. But uh, this week as I was studying, I started going through all the things God's blessed me with. And I started counting how many pairs of shoes I had. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just started the sermon. Come on, John Paul. Put it together. Be a man. Okay. Whoa. Okay. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so I want you all to guess. Happened, before I tell you how many pairs of shoes I had, remember I play soccer, so I got soccer cleats. I got sandals for the beach. I got yard shoes. I got dress shoes, depending on which suit I wear. I have racquetball shoes, tennis shoes. Guess how many pairs of shoes I had before I started giving them away this week. But last Sunday, guess how many pairs of shoes I had? Okay, okay. How many of y'all think I had over 30 pair? Over 40 pair? Over 49 pair? <laughs> I had 50 pairs of shoes. I know. Listen, don't think bad of me. Don't think bad of me. Because the person next to you probably has more than that. But anyway, but listen, for me, for me, for me, that was greedy. For me, that was very, very wrong. I felt like I could have had 10 pairs of shoes and been happy and given that money to somebody else or helped somebody else. So that's why this sermon is important to me. So it's interesting. The very first thing that Satan tempted Adam and Eve with was the one thing they didn't have. The one thing that didn't belong to them. You know, that the tree that, God, that, God, that was God's is like the tithe. He said, this is mine. You don't touch this. In Genesis 3, 6, it says when Eve saw that it was desirable. That's the same word as covet right there. It's an ungodly desire, an unhealthy desire. God said, you can have everything. I've given you the whole world. I've given you so much. But this one thing doesn't belong to you. This one thing you can't have. This one thing is mine. You know, the thing she wanted was the one thing she didn't have. Satan has no new tricks for us. This is his tricks all along. He always, listen, God's blessed you with so much. You know what he tempts you with? He tempts you with the thing you don't have. Amen. The thing that you think, this will make me happy. This will fulfill me. And then you know what happens? You get that thing on your own, and you're still not fulfilled. So he shows you something else. Now, this will make you happy. If you look like this person, if you have what this person has, if you gain this, then you'll be fulfilled. And you know what? Somehow or another, you get it in your own strength and you're still not fulfilled. No new tricks. So, you know, I'm giving you a word for every commandment. And the tenth word, Decalogue, um, is the Greek for the ten words, the ten commandments. The tenth word today is contentment. Contentment. And I'm going to tell you how I got it. I got it from a scripture that you already know. You know half of this scripture. You know where God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know that. And the writer of Hebrews is quoting Joshua 1.5 when Moses died and God told Joshua, I'll never leave you for a second. But it's a promise to us. We know that part. But here's the first part of the scripture. Let your character be without covetousness. There's our commandment. But be content, there's our word for today, with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's okay. If you're single, you can be single until God brings the right person. Here's why. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you don't have a four-bedroom house and you have a two-bedroom apartment, that's okay because he himself said, 
I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So you can be content. You can be happy. You can still want to grow and you can want God to bless you with more. But right where you're at, you should say, God, if you do nothing else for me, I am 100% pleased right now. Because I have you. You know, every television commercial is intended to grab your discontent. Every commercial, I mean every commercial, it's trying to say you're discontent and you need this. Just three payments of $89.99 and this blender will be yours. And you can puree vegetables and the people in the commercial have perfectly white teeth. And they're just, they, they, you can lose 16 pounds in one week and they're holding the blender and you buy it. And then three weeks later, you're eating a tub of Briar's ice cream, looking at the blender in the sink. You used it one time. You thought you'd be happy with that, didn't you? And so you spent the money and you sacrificed. And what happened? You didn't, it didn't make you happy. Didn't make you, regrettable decisions are made out of a discontent heart. They are. You know, the reason people move in together too quickly before they get married, here's why. They're discontent being alone. They think, i got to have this person the reason people change residences, well, I move from here, move from here, and then buy this and buy this. The reason why is because they're discontent with what God's already given them. The reason people quit jobs, go from one job to the next job to the next job, they think if I can make more money or if I can have this kind of a boss or if I can have to be here, then I'll be content in life. And God's saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. The problem is when we're pursuing these things more than we're pursuing God. And so what I did for you today was, because it's our last commandment, I thought I would give you the three points in old King James style, okay? In commandment style. So, point number one is this. Thou shalt not provide for thyself. Thou shalt not provide for thyself. The minute you believe that you are the provider of your family, I promise you, you'll never be satisfied because you'll think you can always get more. And you can always get more, but here's the thing. You're not the provider. And wives, if you look at your husband as being the provider or the protector of your home, that's unbiblical. You're putting pressure on him he should never have. God's the provider. God's the protector. Our job is to be the servant and obey him. We work hard. We use wisdom. We honor him financially. He provides. He's the provider. You're not the provider. The first time Abraham named him in Genesis 22:14, 14, he said, I'm going to call him Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Psalms 103, 1 through 5 says, Bless is the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of the benefits I have by being in a relationship with Him. He's the one who forgives my sins, heals my diseases, redeems me, and satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagle. Let me ask you a question. Can you forgive your sins, yes or no? No. Who can? The Lord. Can you heal yourself, yes or no? No, but who can? The Lord. Can you redeem yourself? Yes or no? But who can? The Lord. Okay, here's my question. Is there anyone in this world that can satisfy you like the Lord can? No. No. But we think so many times, yes, it'll satisfy. Yes. But listen, you're not the provider. You serve Him, and if He hasn't provided for it yet, you don't need it yet. You're not supposed to have it yet. Now, the Bible is perfect. It is perfect, and every word is perfect. See where it says we are renewed like the eagle? Like the, now, I've taught you about the eagle before. The eagle has perfect sight. Eagle stays focused on what, it, what, it, what it's supposed to be focused on. An eagle is okay flying by itself and not hanging out with the chickens. Eagles um, eat fresh food. They don't put any kind of junk inside of them. But do you know the number one cause of death among eagles is drowning? 
The reason is, is it sees this, two, this fish, you know, two miles away in the stream, and it shoots in for the kill, and it goes in there for the grab. And if that fish is too heavy, if that fish, once it gets it out of the water, if it's too large, if it's putting up too much of a fight, the eagle refuses to let go of it. And it gets deeper and deeper and sinks into the water until it drowns to death. The number one weakness of eagles is greed. And God is saying, I will, I'll make you soar like an eagle, but if you get greedy, if you have something in your sight that you're not supposed to have, you refuse to let go of it, listen, you'll drown. You'll lose everything. Man, that's good. Psalms 23.1 says, The Lord is, I am not the shepherd. He is the shepherd. I shall not want, or I shall, or I lack nothing. I lack nothing. God is the provider. Um, I have five kids. When my three oldest ones were little, we didn't have money to go on vacations or anything like that. And Coastal Grand had just been built. And so on the weekends, I would pile the kids in the car and I would take them to the mall and we would go up and down the escalators for hours. Listen, it was free. It didn't cost anything. They were so happy to do it. We'd go up and down in belt until they'd kick us off and then we'd go to Dillard's. Go up and down. Then security car would kick us up, and we'd go to Sears and go up and down. The, and the security car would say, you know, y'all can't be going up and down the escalator. And I'm thinking, what are we supposed to do with the escalator if we can't go up and down? People looked at us like we were crazy. We were having fun, and it was free. It didn't cost a single penny. God provided, and we were happy. As the years went by, all my kids' friends were talking about Disneyland, and everybody's going to Disneyland, and everybody's, you know, getting credit cards and all that guy's going to Disneyland. So I decided I was going to save up. For the three kids that I had at the time, we're going to go to Disneyland. And so I sold chicken bog plates and I cut people's grass and I, I cleaned people's homes on top of my, all my other jobs to save up the money. We were so poor, we had to actually take a bus with like 50 people, like a big old bus. You know, we got on a bus, took it to Florida. I bought the tickets. They're like $100 each. We only had enough money to go to the Magic Kingdom. But we went there. And you know, whenever, you, um, whenever they, they drop you off, it's like a, an hour walk. So you finally get to the front of Magic Kingdom, you know, right? So by the time my kids got to the front of Magic Kingdom, they were crying. Said, Daddy, we want to go back to the hotel and swim. I said, the hell you say? We're going in here and we're having a blast. <laughs> I said, there's a, there's a pool in our neighborhood at home. And it's bigger than the pool at the hotel. We want our legs hurt. No, we don't want... I said, we're at the Magic Kingdom. Like, this is... This is the place to be. This is heaven on earth. They said, we want to go back. Right. So I said, listen, your legs hurt. I'll carry you. I'll carry you. After an hour, we rode two rides. My legs hurt. It's, it's probably from going up and down escalators and not using your legs, you know. But anyway, and so we went back to the hotel after two rides, and we swam for five hours. <laughs> and at the time of our life, I thought I should have stayed back home, gone up and down the escalators, and took you to the neighborhood pool and save $2,000. We always think when we look on social media, we want what they have and we want their car and their job. God is your provider and if you don't have it, you don't need it. <laughs> Number two, thou shalt not desire the gift more than the giver. Here's how you know if you have a covetous heart. If you think about that thing more than you think about building the kingdom of God, if you desire or have a passion for that thing and you pursue it more than you pursue the destiny that God has for you, you know something's out of balance. 
uh, my children's first dog, um, Asher loved the dog. And of course I sacrificed and got the shots and paid the money and all this. And he named it Cozy. And he just, he loved this dog so much. And one day I said, I said, son, who do you love more than anything in the world? He said, Cozy. I said, no, 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 son, you don't understand. I got you that dog. Tell me, who's your favorite person in the whole world? He said, Cozy. I said, no, listen, you don't understand it. Who's going to be there for you the rest of your life, always take care of you, who loves you and makes you so happy? He said, Cozy. I said, I'm going to drop Cozy off on Highway 90, and you're going to be lonely. <laughs> I'm the daddy. I got this for you. You better make sure you understand. You. Okay, we do that with God so many times. The very thing that he has blessed us with, we love that more than we love him. We think about it more than we think of him. Matthew 6, 31 says, do not worry about what you need. Now, worry is a sin. And I could explain it to you psychologically, but let me explain it to you theologically, okay? The fact that Jesus said, don't do it, means if you do it, it's a sin. So right there, there's some theology for you. Don't worry about what you need. Your Father knows what you need. Instead, here's your job. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then he will provide you with all these other things things you know the most misinterpreted scripture in the entire bible is psalms 37 4 i mean it's misinterpreted by so many ministers and so many people it says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart people think that means if i put god first and serve him and delight myself in him he will give me what i want that is not what this verse means it does not it means if you put god first and serve god he will install his desires and put them inside of you so that your desires line up with his desires so how do you know if the desires in you are from god or not here's my question have you delighted yourself in him that's my question is god first in that area of your life if so then the desires that you have in that area they're from god Amen. let me give you a sister scripture to this scripture psalms 84 11, no good thing no good thing will he ever withhold from somebody that walks uprightly. What that means is, is if I'm walking uprightly in the area of my finances, I'm putting God first, I'm listening so that above my tithes I can give to the areas and people I need to give to. I'm using wisdom. If, I'm, if I am walking uprightly in my finances, then what I have right now in my finances is exactly the good thing I'm supposed to have. And it is a good thing. If you are walking uprightly in your residence, you're paying your mortgage or your rent on time, you're, you're keeping your house clean as if Jesus lived there because that's integrity and excellence. Um, <clears throat> if you're obeying the HOA or the landlord or whoever the case is, then wherever you live at right now is exactly what God has provided for you. That is a good thing and you should be thankful for that good thing. If you're walking uprightly in the area of your relationships, and you're honoring God and you're with that person, you're doing what God wants you to do, then that is exactly where you're spending. Here's the sad part is, if you're not walking uprightly, listen, you better walk uprightly because you won't know if that thing is from God or not. Amen. If you want to know if the things in your life have been provided for by God, listen, you walk uprightly in that area. Um, there's a famous um, French um, philosopher who criticized Christianity for years. His name's Voltaire. And he said this, and I'll quote it. He said, God created man in his own image, and now man is returning the favor. In other words, he's saying, God created us, but now here's what we want to do. Now we want to recreate him. In fact, you know what? I want my God to be white 
Because that makes me feel better. I want my God to be upper class so he's okay if I'm filthy rich and I spend all my money on myself. I want God to be an American. That way I feel good about the things I have and I don't have to worry about other countries and what they go through. I want God to be the kind of God that, that wants me to enjoy my life to the point where I can do things that go against his word and it's okay as long as I enjoy it. I want to recreate God an image where every time I come to church, I feel good. And that's the goal is to just feel good when you come to church. That's how we create God. I think it's going to be a very sad day when I see Jesus face to face if I have 50 pair of shoes in my life. All the blessings he's given me. And I'm so focused on me and what I, my needs and my family that I'm blind to everything else going on around me and in the world. Listen, here's my question for you. Are you going to put God first? Are you going to be content? Are you going to praise God and always honor him if it means that you're going to live in that apartment the rest of your life? Amen. Are you going to still put God first, love him, honor him if it means you're going to be single for five years until he brings that person into your life? Amen. Are you going to love God and put him first and always honor him if it means you're going to be at that job where you're getting $15 an hour but you just don't like your boss? Are you going to be okay for the rest of your life if that's what God has for you? Your answer should always be yes and amen. amen. Number three, thou shalt not be discontent. Thou shalt not be discontent. Um, Philippians 4, 11 through 12. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to explain it. Paul the apostle said, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I can have little and I can have much. I have the secret, I've learned the secret of contentment, whether well-fed or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Now that's Philippians 4, 11 through 12. Everybody see that, right? 11 through 12. What's it, what is it? Philippians what? 11. Do you know what Philippians 4, 13 says? Think, don't put it up there. Think. You know what Philippians 4, 13 says? It's the second most famous scripture in the Bible. Okay? I'm going to read it and then I'm going to go back to this verse. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, you know what we use this verse for? This is our weight room verse. If you're trying to bench press over 200 pounds, you see the Christians, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We use this verse when we're, when we're living in America in a nice home with a nice car, but we don't like our boss. But it's okay, God, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You have a healthy new baby, but you have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's hurting you. Oh, oh but it's okay, because I can do all things through Christ. Okay, let me explain to you these verses. Go back to 11 and 12. Paul the apostle is in prison for something he didn't, he, he did the right thing, and he's in prison, okay? His prison cell is the size of a stall, a bathroom stall. Commentaries tell us that the raw sewage system of the day ran right through that prison, and many times while he is writing the church, that he started and trained and raised up and they are not there for him and he feels abandoned standing in raw sewage up to his waist at times that's when he writes I can be content no matter what state I'm in because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that's where that verse came from so for us Americans <laughs> that have more than $100 in the bank and we want more and we want more and we want more, listen, standing in a bathroom stall, raw sewage, and you're writing a church that has abandoned you and you say this, you know what, I'm okay. I'm okay. Here's why. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Psalms 145.16 says, You open your hand and you satisfy the desire 
of every living thing. Anytime any of you ever think, I want more, 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 I need this, need that, I have a friend I, wanna, I want you to meet. I say he's a friend. We've been friends for, for 25, 30 years. Um, he has more money than everyone in this entire room put together. I mean more money than all of you and the next service all put together. But he doesn't have God, and he's miserable. And I've prayed for him every week of my life for the past 20, 21 years. Still has, he's, before I die, he's going to find Jesus. But he's miserable. Miserable. I mean, he could buy any, any hotel he could buy here in the Grand Strand, and he's completely miserable because he doesn't have God. Discontentment will follow you everywhere you go. It's a heart issue. It's a, if you think, well, if I get this job or get this house or get this money or get this thing, or if you're discontent now, you'll be discontent then. It's something you have to ask God to change on the inside. Um, I'll close with this story. Uh, there's a, a famous book called The Five People You Meet in Heaven. It's by the author Mitch Album. In fact, it was made a movie, and John Voight is the star. It's a great movie. Um, and in fact, I just read this past week where Fox is trying to buy the rights to do a miniseries on it. I guess a five-week series. But the way, it's, not a, it's not a biblical story, but it's a, Christian, it's a Christian story. It's about a man who was in his 60s. He worked in an amusement park his entire life. His parents owned it. They passed it down to him. It's all he ever knew. He never really wanted to be at the amusement park. He had big dreams in life, things he wanted to accomplish. But over the years, unfortunate events occurred, and somehow he always found himself back at the amusement park. He was discontent on the inside. He was unfulfilled. He never thought that's where he was supposed to be. He dreaded going to work each day. Couldn't stand being there. But on the outside, nobody ever knew. He smiled real big. He was good to people. He helped others. But on the inside, he felt like a failure. He was unhappy, unfulfilled, like he never had the life he was supposed to have or wanted to have. One day, there was a ride and the, the, up at the top, this cord broke and this huge piece of metal was falling to the ground. And there was a little girl underneath where the thing was falling. And the man, the 60-year-old guy, he dropped his cane and he rushed as quick as he could and pushed the little girl out of the way. When he pushed her out of the way, that piece of equipment landed on him and it killed him. He lost his life, saving the life of this other little, of this little girl. When he got to the outer gates of heaven, he was told he would meet five people that would try to help him decide what his heaven was going to be like for all of eternity. Remember, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not theology, theologically correct. It's just a good Christian story. And so they were going to meet with him and talk with him. Was he going to live in a palace the rest of his life and be waited on hand and foot? Was he going to live down by the beach and walk along the shore every morning, every evening? Was he going to live up on a mountain somewhere and you know, just enjoy the scenery for the rest of eternity? And so he met these people. The first man he met is a guy he knew during the war. And the man thanked him for how he helped him and their friendship together. He met someone else, a young lady that he once knew, and on and on. He went through all four people until he got to person number five. Person number five, the final person, was the little girl whose life he saved at the amusement park that day. She was an old woman now. She thanked him where, for saving her life. And later on that day, she went back home with her family, went to school the next day. She grew up and went to college, fell in love, got married, had children of her own. 
She told how she brought her kids to the amusement park to enjoy it just like she did when she was little. She lived a longer life, became a grandmother, had grandchildren that she enjoyed, long fulfilled, and finally died and went to heaven. When she thanked them for saving her life, he began to kind of see things um, in a different perspective, see things from a new light. He, he looked at his whole life in its entirety and realized he was actually at the right place at the right time, just where God wanted him to be all along. So for his heaven, he chose to live at the amusement park, the very place that he had dreaded all those years before. I wonder if we look back at our life, always pursuing one thing or another to make us happy. I wonder if we actually looked at our life in its entirety. Would we see we were just where God wanted us to be all along. There's a, a messianic scripture I'll close with, Isaiah 53, 11. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, He shall see the fruit of the anguish of his soul and be satisfied because he poured out his life unto death. Here's what I want you to see. When Jesus healed the sick, wasn't satisfied. When he raised the dead, wasn't satisfied. Whenever he preached to thousands of people, wasn't satisfied. Whenever he got a gold coin out of a fish, that didn't satisfy him. When he washed the disciples' feet, that didn't satisfy him. The thing that finally fulfilled Jesus and satisfied him was when he gave away everything that he had left. I don't want to see Jesus face to face having anything left of mine. I want to give my life away. Amen. I believe, I believe if you'll recognize that he's the provider, if you'll put him first so that you know what you have is what you're supposed to have, then I believe you'll be able to be content in any and all circumstances Amen. in your life. Amen.